I started down the path of this is terrible. This is horrible. This is awful. My life is over. My life is ruined. Why me? And I can always blame someone else as long as I use the words to me. Look what happened to me. There's a big difference between I don't want to live anymore and I don't want to live like this anymore. What is financial sobriety? Well, first, I'm Jim Gebhardt. Oh, I'm Matthew Grishman. That's good. We should introduce ourselves. And this podcast is all going to be about three relationships that really, when you stop and you think about them, you don't think they go together. But it's your relationship you have with money. It's a relationship you have with people who mean the most to you. And ultimately, the relationship you have with yourself. So I might imagine that those three relationships are somewhat wrapped together. That when one gets a little out of whack, perhaps it has an effect on the others. Stick around and you'll find out. As we do with all of our episodes here recently is we got to kick this baby off with some gratitude. And I am always so grateful for time with my family. A dear friend of mine, I hope he's listening today, whose kids are now all out of the house for a couple of years, he shared this concept with me that you're going to miss the banter. You're going to miss all the bickering. Mm -hmm. You're going to miss all the chitty chat stuff, the little stuff that happens when the girls go off. And oh, wow. Did I relish in all of that? Even the little snappy, bittering stuff that used to just light, you know, just press my sure. buttons and get me hot. Sure. I just kind of stepped back and just soaked it in like it was, you know, milk, warm milk and cookies. <laughs> you stepped back as an observer. Yeah. Instead of a participant. You were kind of like a spectator watching oh, it from it the outside. It was wonderful. I, and I, I really had no recognition of how much I was going to miss that. And I'm... So grateful for my friend Tom to kind of share that thought with me because it's it's true that it is quiet even with the boys still in the house it's half the decibel level and activity level that it was yeah and so that's what I'm that's what I'm grateful for today how that's about you partner awesome well I'm I, I'm going to continue to be the broken record on my gratitude because so much of my gratitude is based on these people that are in my life that I just every time I stop and think about a person and I see their face, it just, someone who means something to me, it fills me up with an incredible amount of gratitude. Maybe because there was a time in my life I didn't have that kind of tribe around me. And, you know, I, I can go all the way back to the beginning of the holiday season, which I think now starts somewhere around the 4th of July. Yeah, Labor exactly. Day, something like that. Well, that's that. when, that's when the, the big box stores start to have <laughs> sand in the trees up. I, yeah, Costco, I think, had its trees up right around Labor Day, maybe a little after. But when I, you know, when I think about the holiday season, going back Thanksgiving and, and forward, I mean, just how I was able to physically be around so many of the people that I am closest to and that mean the most to me, when the last couple of years we really haven't had an yeah, opportunity that was not to an do option. that. Like one-on-one, -on -one, let alone with Group. people in groups and, you know, celebrating family weddings and get-togethers and friends' weddings and a Thanksgiving Day table and you know, vacation time with my closest family. And it's just, I'm so incredibly grateful for my people. And they just, they fill my heart up a lot. I've got another, this is goofy gratitude, but okay. so over the holidays, we went to a black tie event and I had to think long and hard about like, where's my tux? Well, the only tux that I've ever had was from our wedding day 24 years ago. <laughs> I bust this thing out. And the moths, mom, if you're listening, we didn't have it in moth. Is it moth, no moth balls? balls? No mothballs. It was always mothballs in moth my balls. house, like matzo balls. Oh. I mean, I just there was it wasn't there was no distinction. It wasn't moth balls. So you it didn't know if you were balls. having soup or something really. So nasty. I find I find the tuxedo. It's fine. And then I, I had that very brave moment of oh boy, I got to try this thing on. Twenty four years later, you know what? It fit like a glove. Wow. The pants, the pants were right out of, you can't touch this. What was, who was the? Oh, was that MC Hammer? It was MC Hammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pants were right out of an MC Hammer video <laughs> in terms nice. of, you know, they look like Omar the tent maker made them. Nice. So I had to go to the tailor. I go to the tailor and he's a, you know, little shop in town. I go in and I'm like, so, you know, I'm just curious, how, how's business for you? Talk about this going long-winded way to get back to the concept of connection. And he specializes in wedding dresses. So you walk into his shop, and there's got to be a hundred pictures of brides on their wedding day, and there's 
there were 25 dresses hanging up there. He's like, all those weddings that were postponed, they're all happening now. Wow. Wow. He's like, we have never been busier. We, We have made back half of what we lost in the pandemic because of all of the weddings that are now being scheduled like seven days a week. And this concept of, you know, the Saturday wedding is, that's that's long gone. So anyway, I am grateful for the fact that I fit in my tuxedo from my wedding day. Way to go, brother. Right? How Ma- about that? Mazel tov. How that's, about that? That's fantastic. No, matzo balls. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I'll extend the gratitude and keep it going because we have an incredible guest in studio This with is going to be very powerful. My, my gratitude is huge. I am... Super excited to have my new friend, Julia Nicholson, in studio with us today. Julia and I met. We got to share a TEDx stage together back in the fall. It was amazing getting to know you, getting to train with you, learn from you. Your talk about the way we think about loss and grief is dead wrong had me stop in my tracks because everything I ever knew about loss and grief you just you you change the way i see it you you help me go from a place of constantly feeling loss and grief to having some hope so to have you here in studio with us getting started on the right path thank you my friend for coming in oh thank you i'm excited to be here and i also had a great time learning from you and getting to know you and experiencing the ted environment with you well thank you thanks for having me awesome well let let's start this right What are you grateful for today? Oh, my gosh. That list is so long, so I'll keep it uh, as short as possible. But absolutely, kind of along the same vein as you all, you know, at this point, I'm so thankful for the people in my life that I love, that love me, that are that are healthy, that I can see. And it's interesting as you talk about what we've just experienced through this whole COVID environment, the things that we took for granted, like gathering for the holidays, um, it became so much more special this year yeah. to have people together that we've taken for granted. And so I would say, in addition, I'm just thankful for life and the things that I've experienced in my life. I do think about that every morning when I wake up and every night before I go to bed. And thank you for another day to make a difference in the world in a positive way. That's awesome. Well, just to kind of get things started, thank you for that. The reason you're here is you moved me, you moved a lot of people and getting started on the right path this year. I mean, how did you get, let's just start it this way. How did you get to where you are, where you have this, this vision, this view of how we view loss and grief and that the conversation is completely off base. I mean, what what got you started down that path? I mean, that that's a big, big statement. That's a big <laughs> it declaration is. I, to make, right? Absolutely. How- and I, I, I kind of have lived my life as a contrarian and, <laughs> and questioning things and challenging things and more based on trying to understand. And I never got out of that two-year-old why stage. I've stayed in that my entire life. But before I want to make sure and say one more thing, that I'm very, very grateful to have this opportunity to share what I've learned and the experiences that I've had with your audience to be able to just make a difference in someone else's life. And to me, you giving me this opportunity is more than I could have ever hoped for when I started down this path. What you and I have been trying to do, brother, is, you know, we, we have these experiences in our life where we meet people and they move us in ways and those ways that they move us are very meaningful to how we live our life. It, it doesn't take adversity away from our lives. No. It's another, it's another relationship where we get to learn from the experience of that relationship on how we handle adversity in a healthier way going forward. And you've been such an incredible part to that. And you know, I just met you a few months ago and we've developed this great friendship because yes. I love learning from you. And so we're going to bring you in here. We're going to talk about it some more. (laughs) I appreciate that. We talk so much about the concept of lifeboat drills. Oh, yeah. So what what do you do when you get on a cruise ship or an airplane? They take you through a set of protocols on what to do in the case of an emergency. Tragedy, heartache, setbacks, as we also call it on the show, resistance, is going to happen. So how about we use this as a wonderful opportunity to be a little bit more prepared so that when it does happen, we're a little bit better prepared on what and how to deal with it because yeah. obviously it's going gonna, it's gonna to take the legs out from under you. Well, and those happen more often in our lives than the other, right? Than the joyful, the excitement, the happy, the big wins out of the park. And the interesting thing is I think we spend so much time either worrying about them 
preparing for them before they ever happen. And then when they do, we're kind of shocked and surprised, but then we, we get stuck there. We get stuck with these feelings of sadness, loss, disappointment, disheartenment, disengagement, depression. They're stickier, they're stickier feelings than they, the happy yes. feelings. That, I mean, that's like right out of Billy Bean. I mean, he said it, Brad Pitt playing Billy Bean in Moneyball. I hate to lose. In fact, I hate losing more than I like winning. I it, mean, isn't that like the essence of humans in general? It is. And the irony, I mean, what I've learned in my life with all of the loss that I've had, and I think one of the things that's important to identify is that loss is just not about death. And that's one of the reasons why I've looked at this in such a different way is because so much of my loss in my life has been in addition to death. And we forget about what about the loss of your job? What about a divorce, the loss of a meaningful relationship, a pet that's like a family member or your health, your physical ability? I mean, your self-esteem, your self-confidence. There's there's so much loss. And the conventional wisdom right now is all about loss and the feelings that you experience with it are one and the same. They're a package deal. Mm. And so if you've experienced a loss, then you're always going to feel the way you feel right now. And I got to the point with enough loss in my life that I was just sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. And I really believed there has to be more than this. This can't be all that there is to life. And the irony when you talk about adversity, and I think what many people don't understand is that adversity is what grows us, right? That struggle. And every single thing that I can point to in nature, I mean, you look at grapevines, the best grapes come from those that struggle the hardest to get that water, right? And the steel that's that's forged, the, the strongest steel is forged in the hottest fires. I don't think that that was just by accident. Yeah. I think that should be a lesson for us to look at as human beings, right? We have, we have so much more ability. And we shy away from those things that give us the strength and the resilience and the determination and build us. I mean, I've been asked so many times, based on all of the tragedy and loss and adversity you've had, how did you ever do what you've done in your career, what you've done in your personal life? How can you be happy? How can you be joyful? How can you really want to get up out of bed in the morning? And I said, I think you have it wrong. It's not about how do I do that in spite of what I've experienced. It's I'm able to do that because of what I've experienced, processing it in a positive way and then learning from it to use that to my advantage. So the irony is leaning into that is actually what makes the difference. Shying away from it keeps us isolated, keeps us withdrawn. And as you were just talking about connection, connection is the lifeblood. But when we have this loss in whatever capacity we have, our innate reaction is to withdraw. Right. But that's the exact opposite of how we were wired. Sure. You remember our, some of our favorite books, and we've, we've talked about them here, right? Steve Pressfield's work, uh, War of Art and Turning Pro. I mean, if you're new to the show and, and you haven't heard us talk about Steve Pressfield before, just an incredibly gifted writer who is the one responsible for teaching us about this concept of resistance and how it shows up. And he would tell you that the point at which you turn pro in life is when you recognize what adversity a la resistance really is, and instead of shying away from it, you start leaning into it. I mean, it's it's like major game changer in life. Absolutely. And the irony is, as I look at some of the things, when we start to do things, the, the things we don't even think about every day that require a little effort, we lean in. I mean, think about when you go to stand up from a chair, you have to lean forward, right? I'll use another one that just cracks me up. Anybody driving through a parking lot, it's always hard to find that parking spot you're looking for. What do we all do? We usually lean forward. So we don't even think naturally, innately, we do lean forward into things and and they create the environment then that we want. And I kind of look at that, and maybe that's a simplistic approach, but I look at loss and adversity and, and grief in life the same way. What would happen if we actually were able to turn that around and, and see it for truly what it is that are these growth experiences, the learning experiences that you can change adversity into an advantage? I've had the privilege of seeing your TED Talk as well. So, I mean, for us, we know, we know your story, but our audience doesn't. And I think in the context of dealing with loss and grief, it would be super helpful to rewind the tape a little and, and kind of take us on a journey of, of what you have faced and how you're this absolutely bright, shining light today. <laughs> yeah. And, and before you do that, what, are, what people can't see is this small person <laughs> sitting in this chair next to us with this unbelievable voice and spirit. Like if I were listening at home and not able to see this, I would think there was a six foot 10 giant (laughs) sitting in this seat here with the spirit and the voice and and what you've got. So especially as you tell your story and what you've experienced, now please 
tell us where that all came from. <laughs> you bet. Well, thank you. I actually, I would like to say that it started, my loss in my life and tragedy in my life started actually really early. My dad was in the Marine Corps and did two tours in Vietnam. And I, as a child, had to witness that dark green car driving up with the Marine in the starched oh, wow. khaki uniform coming to the house, not one time, but three times. And each time, I guess the good news is each time the message got better, but that was training me that this is bad. Mm -hmm. And so my my father, first they thought he was killed in action, then they thought he was a POW missing action. They actually then located him. He was injured critically to the point where he was awarded a Purple Heart. But that trying to deal with you know your your father and and that emotional roller coaster even at such a young age right at six seven years old, and what I didn't realize is that those types of experiences prepare you in a way that you could not be prepared otherwise going forward in life, and so I'd say as an adult, and I like to refer to loss or unwanted change in your life as an it, because that makes it all inclusive right, right. it's sure. it's not talking about just death we're yeah. talking about whatever it is that you that you have experienced loss or unwanted change whatever, whatever that is whatever it is exactly which is why i use the word because we can all understand that we've all had its in our life and most of us have had many more than one the first one in my adult life is i was hit head on by a drunk driver when i was 18 years old oh. Supposed to be having fun on spring break, seeing my sister out of town. And my literally my parents had wanted me to go to Fort Lauderdale or did not want me to go to Fort Lauderdale because they were afraid something bad would happen there. <laughs> little did they know. I'm now in this little town of Stephenville, Texas, and middle of the night, 11 o'clock at night, got hit, hit on by a drunk driver. And oh. I was in the front passenger seat and took the full brunt of the impact. And my parents got that 2 a.m. phone call that nobody wants back in St. Louis. And wow. I should have never lived to tell about it. And it, genuinely, a series of about eight miracles, depending on how you count them, had to have come together at the exact perfect timing and perfect moment for me to even survive. There's no reason why I shouldn't have been through the windshield and gone. And in fact, the people that stopped because it was a little two-lane deserted highway, they couldn't believe that anybody lived. And especially me, because that's where the impact was. So that was my first experience of wow, in a split second, everything can change. And what is it that you hold valuable? What is it that's the most important to you? Now, it took me a little while to get there, right? Because I went through, obviously, physically, I was I was critically injured. Sure. And just saving my life was the highest priority. Sure. But what I did not realize, and I think maybe others didn't either, is that the physical heals much faster than the mental emotional. And that creates a whole different dynamic and how you feel about yourself, that self-confidence, that self-worth, that self-esteem, that resilience, that determination, when you lose all of that in a split second, and as well as your physical appearance at 18 years old, which right. is a pretty important a thing, a huge thing for an 18-year-old. And so that's kind of where my adult list of it's started. Wow. That in and of itself, I think, would emotionally paralyze most people. Like any time a car would come up to the house, had government plates on it or not, there was probably always a seed of doubt. Or mm -hmm. how about any time you got back in a car and it was late at night and you were on a two-lane country road? Oh, I, I actually— I mean, all that post-traumatic stress that just kind of— floods yes. your system. That you don't even realize is there. No. Yes. Yeah. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would hyperventilate myself because it was that tra tragic, that traumatic, and you have absolutely no control. Zero. I mean, I was sitting in the car. I, through no fault of my own, this happened. How'd you, and, how'd you get through that time? How did you survive those first few days, first few weeks, first few months, let, yes. al let alone how you got here? But how did you get through those first few days, weeks, months. Yes. I will. I, the first few days, medical care. Yeah. There you and go. my parents flew in to be with me because they were in St. Louis. I was in Texas. It's a long flight, then a two hour drive. And I can't even imagine what that must have been like for them. But medical care at first. And then I think that I think it was a struggle for everyone in addition to myself because nobody knew what to do. My, my injuries, the majority of them that were so traumatic for me were all facial. Oh, and wow. So reflective surfaces were kept kept away from me intentionally, and I think that was a good thing <laughs> so that I couldn't see. Sure. And so I think everybody was just very cautious about, we, we don't even know what to do, what to say. And I was pretty out of it. But as I started then to be able to decrease 
pain medication and, and all of that. And then you start to take stock. And I started down the path of this is terrible. This is horrible. This is awful. My life is over. My life is ruined. Why me? Why did this? So I was so self-absorbed in this is awful, terrible. And all I knew was my entire life changed in a split second. And it wasn't my fault. Yeah. And that in and of itself is debilitating. And I didn't feel like I fit in the world anymore. Yeah. And that was a challenge. And how do you fit and where do you fit? Because at 18, dating and, and being noticed by boys for the right things, not pointing at you in the airport because you look like something out of a horror show. Sure. But you want to be noticed for, for good things. And I think what happened over time is kind of literally just existing. I can't even call it living because now I know the difference. There's a big difference between existing in foggy mirror and actually living life. And getting to the point where I was just sick and tired of feeling sick and tired and I didn't want to live anymore. But I had this strong, strong, powerful revelation. There's a big difference between I don't want to live anymore and I don't want to live like this anymore. Sure. That to me was powerful. And so I started thinking about why, why did I even survive? Why am I here? Because I shouldn't have. I mean, the car was so destroyed, you couldn't even tell what kind of car it was if you're looking at it from the front. It was oh, impossible. Yeah, you, I've seen the pictures. That's... It was impossible. And literally, I had to, I literally started to think, oh, wait a minute, why am I still here? I mean, I should have been dead. And with the way I'm living, existing right now, I might as well be, but I'm here. And that twist, if you will, to be able to just shift that little bit from that inward, awful, terrible, horrible to wait, 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 wait a minute. I'm still here. And how did that even happen? How is that possible? Irony that we're sitting here talking, but it all has to do with one penny. One penny. Comes back to a penny. Okay. And we're talking about money and investing. That was a huge investment that I believe the universe made in, in my life. And gratitude is about, do I, did I earn one more day? Was yeah. that in your early 20s? Was that later on in life? What was the what was the penny moment? No, the penny moment was in that car that I was riding in as a passenger, 1980, seatbelts were not required. This car actually had seatbelts as an option, thank mm. God. And at some point in time, unbeknownst to anybody until after the accident happened and you know now the insurance is looking at the car, and I put my seatbelt on as a joke because I didn't know the person driving. Uh, my sister, it was her boyfriend's best friend, they found out later the reason why I couldn't get the seatbelt off. And it was not for lack of trying. <laughs> I can tell you that. I mean, there were times when my sister was hanging on the shoulder strap outside the window, and I'm pushing the button and laughing so hard it will not come out. But the seatbelt is getting tighter and tighter. And I'm having to say, stop, stop, I can't breathe. And, okay, well, when we get to where we're going, because we're going to go to a party at a lake. And what they found was after the accident, a couple days after, push the button on the seatbelt buckle, one penny fell out. It had gotten lodged in exactly the right spot at the right moment to stay locked so that I had that lap belt on. Holy cow. Unbelievable. In a in a lighter way, uh, every penny matters. <laughs> to me, a penny has a very specific meaning. The power of a penny, not only did I learn later on in life when I finally had college degree and then in my career, uh, you can multiply pennies. Yeah. And you can multiply them in faith. You can multiply them in spirit. You can multiply them financially. You can multiply them in your life. Oh, yeah. how beautiful. Yeah. Well, for, that's for, a wrap. No, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. Where do you go from there? It's like, well, oh, well, that, I know, you didn't even know that, did you? No, that, yeah. So you, you're sandbagging a little. You're saving some oh. stuff here. This is good because cause for most people, that it would be it. And it all should have been for me. All done. Right. Mo all done. Especially if there wasn't a penny involved where we saw the true value of that penny. I mean, that. But I didn't put that together for quite some time, really. I mean, I knew it was a penny, but I didn't get the connection of, oh, my gosh. Yeah. There's, yeah. That's one of the miracles that yeah. happened. Th yeah. Exactly. The, the coincidental hindsight that maybe it's not a coincidence. It, exactly. Yeah. Which yeah. comes into the whole perspective of kind of like what you guys are trying to help your audience, right? Looking at money the way conventional wisdom does and all of those paradigms that are, are the beliefs and, and conventional things that are out there today. What if you twisted those? What if you looked at them a little bit differently? What if you just tilted your head, shifted that perspective? And I can tell you, there is so much beyond what people currently believe. It's just understanding that there is something beyond that. And well, that the big reason, one of the big reasons you're sitting here is we've always talked as far as shifting 
the eyes a little bit that the most valuable investment any human being can ever make is in themselves. Yep. And one of the primary reasons why we don't ever give ourselves permission to do that, at least you know, speaking from personal experience, is this getting stuck in its and never being able to see a way clearly through it because of being in this constant state of loss and grief and my feelings turn into facts. And just the fact that if we can unlock something for somebody, offer them a different way to get unstuck, yes. then perhaps that's one more deposit of investing in oneself to help them thrive and, and get to that point where they're beyond living. They're thriving. They're doing incredible things for themselves, for others in, in this world. So with you, it was more than that one it. Yes. You, you've had a couple of more it's that came along that may have, may have gotten you to that penny place. Yes, many. I mean, it, there's so many it's in life, and some of them are more significant and challenging and impactful for the other, than others. Sure. But they all affect us. And like what you're talking about, right, we have, we have these things that we don't even realize we're carrying around, but they make us really, really heavy. And that it, it affects really our self-worth, our self-esteem, and it creates this self-doubt and these insecurities. And we don't even realize we're carrying more and more of these. And I think for me, one of the things I started to realize is people always use the words at the very end to you. Oh, what happened to you? Mm -hmm. And then people will say, oh, my gosh, this is what happened to me. And I started looking at that and thought, gosh, every time I hear that, it makes me feel like a victim. And every time I say that, it makes me a victim. But this happened. It happens. Yes, it happens. It just does. And it and it's happened to everybody, some more than others. Sometimes it's just that you don't see them because we try and hide, right? We don't want to, we don't want to show our vulnerability. We put our mask on or Betsida, who was yes. in here a while back, would put her armor on. I Absolutely. Mean, and, and, and it does get heavy, yeah. right? And so looking at all of this to say, I don't think that's the way we were intended at all. That's not what we're here for. But adversity, loss, unwanted change, it's a part of life. It's, it's, it's a necessary part of life. And I think that if we start to think about it in a different way, to lean into it, to say, okay, if it is a necessary part of life, why is it necessary? Why well, I think it's necessary because that's how we grow. That's how we learn. That's how we become more connected. And I think genuinely that's how we become more vulnerable, more resilient, more determined. And so, yes, multiple it's in my life. And the irony is starting at such a young age maybe and starting to process them in a way that allowed me to use what I learned to my advantage really allowed me to do everything I've been able to do personally and professionally. I think it would have been so impossible without that. It would have been so easy for you to put on the cloak of victimhood. Oh, our society, and I did. Our society today is really all about that. Oh, uh, absolutely. It's easy to be the victim. It gives you permission to slack off, I don't have to step into my greatness because I'm a victim of it. That's right. And I can always blame someone else as long as I use the words to me. Look what happened to me. And that victim mentality does. And, and I was there. That's, that's where all this starts, right? When it, when it happens, that's where we all go. Yeah. And, and the catch is, do you get stuck there? Do you stay there? And as you were saying, Matthew, that when we start to believe and think these things for so long, that's what we do. We, we convince ourselves they become facts. And the irony is, is that we made them all up. I, I could not pro project the future, but that's what I had been doing in my mind. Now that I'm, I'm so disfigured and, and my life is ruined, what's it worth living for? My, I'm always going to feel this way for the rest of my life. I'm always going to be, I mean, like maybe some of your listeners, I'm always going to be in debt. I'm always going to struggle with money. And the answer is, no, actually, you're not. As long as you think you will, you will. You will be. Yeah. And for me, it was the same thing. It was that struggling and that stuck in that grief of why me, this is terrible, this horror, my life is ruined. And luckily, before I got to the, the next major significant it in my life, I had recognized, wait, 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 wait. I, I can't foretell the future. I can make the future. I can create the future with at least whatever I have to be able to use right now. There's two sides of every coin, it, right? There let's has pick, to let's be. Let's pick on the penny again. Absolutely. It is so easy for most people to see the one side of the coin mm -hmm. as it happened to me. Yes. The other side of the coin, ladies and gentlemen, is it happened for me. And now what? And now what? Because there's something more. And I think that is exactly why I think we get stuck is that we don't realize there's that other side of the coin. Yes, you're right. It, it happened. Lots of it's happened all the time. Yeah, let's, let's somehow, and in the, in the darkest of days, and we've probably all been there, it's very hard to imagine how there's ever going to be light again. Absolutely. Right? If it's been raining and raining and raining, it's hard to ever imagine that the sun's going to come out again. 
Oh, you lived in Seattle too? No, <laughs> Syracuse. Oh, right. Yeah. I forgot Syracuse. about that place. Yeah. In the context of, of going through loss and tragedy, that moment in your life when you were able to kind of, as, as the it's kept, you know, the hits kept, kept coming, coming, right? <laughs> yes. How did you have that open-mindedness to be able to see this other side of the coin? I'm going to have to attribute 100% of that to faith. Wow. And 100% of it, because this was not of my doing. It was more of a, this quiet knowing that started quiet, but then became so powerful, so overwhelming. I mean, people have asked me, gosh, you know, are you driven to do this? And I said, to do this, meaning to share this message, to share what I've learned, to share what worked for me that the conventional wisdom didn't. And are you driven to do that? And I said, no, no, driven was what I chose to be for my career compelled is what I am with sharing this message. Right. And this, and this was all drawn, a, drawn to you. Exactly. And, and literally it was given to me. And I truly believe in looking at so many of my friends have said, you know, everybody has it's Julia, but you seem to have a lot more than your share. How did you do it? What did you do in order to be able to basically get to where you are? And it's genuine, right? It's not, I mean, this comes from inside. It, I don't think you can fake the energy level that I have. No. <laughs> and I don't do caffeine. I don't do anything. I Thank mean, goodness. I, uh, no kidding. It's an ugly sight. Trust me. Trust me on that you're, one. It's you're not, wait, I'm looking. You're not hooked up to any external car batteries. No, no, not at all. Wow. But truly, this is this was really about this continual knowing of this quiet. It was quiet at first and then kept getting louder and louder and louder. And I kind of look at it and say, okay, you've given me so many it's now. I mean, and they've been so loud. I'm I, listening. Yes, I can't. Exactly. I can't ignore it. So I can't take any credit for anything except for finally getting over my own insecurity and self-doubt to be able to share what I learned. Wow. I mean, there, there's so much more to your story, both in dealing with it, it's, yes, as well as the other side of the coin, which is the extraordinary success you've had in the business world. Yes. And I'd love, I'd love to shift gears for a second and, and talk some, of, some about that because Matthew and I are drawn to people like yourself that are constantly challenging the status quo. And in your business career, I think it would be really helpful for our listeners to learn a little bit about how you did that, particularly in some of the high-level high positions that you had, when it wasn't always the easy thing to do to, you know, to challenge the way things have always been done in a, in a meritocracy, especially with all the it's happening in your life. Absolutely. And, and the interesting thing is I don't think my career success would have been nearly as possible or probable or as successful without the it's in my life, but being able to learn from them and transform them into something that I could use to my advantage. And so, yes, I have been blessed with a very, very highly improbable career. One of the it's actually set me back from the standpoint that I was in my mid-20s and was divorced with a three-year-old and a three-month-old with no job, no money, no education past high school, and no really means to support myself, but I had these little girls that I needed to take yeah. care of. And Put food on the table and shelter and clothes it, on their back. And exactly. Oh, oh and, and I mean, it was so bad, and not very many people know this story. It was so bad that I had to scrape together 50 cents to be able to go into a bar to get a beer during happy hour, and I didn't even drink beer. But for 50 cents, I could get the chicken wings, the meatballs, the celery sticks, and the carrot sticks from the little buffet when you got. So the guy that would be in there most of the time when I'd walk in, he would be really happy that he'd got the beer, and I could stuff my purse through full with of things to be able to feed my daughter. So yeah, it's been a, a far cry now from that, if you will. It's been a long journey. The journey still continues. But yes, I, I basically decided that I needed to do what I could to support my daughters and uh, actually through a job, a position, again, another one of those universe moments that I was in a, I was in an accounts payable job. I love numbers mm -hmm. and I was passed over for a promotion to a supervisor multiple times. And this was a relatively small company and being innocence and naivety go a long way. It, and I did not know this, but I couldn't understand why I was passed over and I needed it. I mean, I was making, I was making well less, I'll just say well less than $10,000 a year, a year gross, trying to raise two children, car payment, rent payment, daycare. I mean, you can do the math. That's that's and not enough. It's not even remotely enough. I mean, I, I worked two part-time jobs as well, right? It was, what can I do just to support my family? And 
So I actually asked if I could talk with the president of the company, and he graciously gave me wow. a few minutes of time. I wow. know I had no idea, right? I mean, I my, you're an account, as my as my dad would say, you're an accounts payable clerk. That's exactly what exactly was my title, accounts payable clerk. And you know, I mean, my my dad never graduated from high school. He was a listed man in the Marine Corps. My mother was a secretary to a principal, and so in in my family, the idea was you went to work and you did your job and you came home, and so. I, I never knew anything about the corporate world or anything. All I knew was he was the one that everybody said made the decision, so I had to ask him the question. Right. Now, I look at this now, and I think, oh, my gosh, that was pretty bold. But he graciously gave me five minutes of his time. And when I went in and talked to him, and I said, this is who I am, and I've applied for this position. I've worked here for two years, and I really think I could do that job really well. And he said, he was very honest, thank goodness. And he said, oh, no, you could run circles around the person that's in that job. And I said, well, I don't understand then. I've been passed over twice. And he said, well, you don't have a college degree. And I, in my infinite wisdom, said, it's just a piece of paper. <laughs> yes. I mean, honest to goodness. And he yeah. said, but it's a very important piece of paper. And I said, why don't you think about this then for a minute? Because I'm recognizing that I'm just going to get farther and farther behind from a money standpoint. I'm not going to be able to support my children, and how am I going to do that? And I, I didn't have any help from my family. There was, there, was not, there, was, there was not resources there. And so I then naively said, can I think about this and have five minutes of your time tomorrow? <laughs> so I did. And again, in my infinite wisdom, I thought, well, if I need a college degree, I guess I'm just going to go get a college degree. So I walked in the next day and said, thank you very much, asked him what program he recommended. He was really actually brilliant. He recommended computers, but I'm just not a computer person. And so I said, okay, I thank you for your recommendation. And then I gave him my letter of resignation because I needed to start college. Didn't even occur to me of how I was going to do it. Sure. Right. I just knew why I needed to do it. And he, thank goodness, had the wherewithal to say, wait, 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 wait. He knew I had two little girls. And I mean, by this time, they're what, a year and a half, two years old. So still little in daycare. And so he graciously said, maybe you might want to try night school and if you need to leave early. So that started me on this path of, but it was, again, it was asking that why question. It was being inquisitive. I, and I wasn't being rude or disrespectful. I just want to know, okay, if, if I didn't get it twice. Yeah, why? And it, yes. And, and being able, now why I even had enough of the ability to go ask. And I think it comes from that curiosity and it comes from a place of genuine, right? It wasn't accusatory. It wasn't mad. It was, could you, you weren't just being please? a victim? No, right. exactly. Right. You got Ex your ego out of the it, way and you were, you exactly. wanted to know the answer to the question. Exactly. And Alan Greenberg, I will forever be grateful to him. He literally set me on this path and he, and, and he was honest with me, right? Sometimes that honesty hurts people. It helped me. I actually had a scholarship when I graduated from high school, and I didn't even know what it was. That was not anything that was talked about. So not only did I make it harder for myself, but thank goodness he was that honest to say, you know, you don't have it. Okay, even though you can do the job. That honesty to be able to share and, like you said, get that ego out of the way to say, okay. I mean, all I knew was, you know, I get on, I get on that treadmill and I, I work as hard as I can and it'll be fine. And what I learned was there are other things that go into it. Hard work is definitely a part of it. But that started me on this path. So, yeah, I started, uh, literally, I started going to school and working two part-time jobs and a full-time job and trying to raise my daughters. And I had to barter for childcare. I mean, if there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. And I bartered for childcare because I didn't have any money. I applied for every scholarship I could get. And graciously, I received at least one. I can say that I went to, I went to class every day with a drop slip because... The, I went to the University of Missouri, and they had this fabulous program that if you maintained a certain GPA, that you had a reduced tuition, which was huge to me. Sure. And so my professors got to know, and they would say, Julia, you have that pink slip with you? Oh, absolutely I do, hmm. because if I'm not getting an A, I have to drop. I can't. I can't. So, I mean, it, it became humorous, but they knew it was serious. And so that set me on a path to be able to basically not look back, because what actually put me in that situation was another it. Um, they got me to the point where I was a single parent and raising my daughters, but literally set me on. Oh, you can't cliffhang us there. Oh, <laughs> so after my after my car accident and you know the, the physical healing is is happening, that's taking place, but inside, mentally, emotionally, just a wreck, right? Carrying around all that insecurity and that self doubt and that why me and and all of those challenges and still trying still trying to process. I started working toward it, but I didn't get to the point where I should have been before I made a major life decision and got married to the first person who showed, first man who showed me attention. And that marriage turned out to be just as devastating as the car accident. Wow. 
And so after five years of abuse, I had a three-year-old and a three-month-old. And the last night, I knew that this was not going to end well. And um, kind of somewhere deep down inside, I just broke. I thought, I can't do this. And literally, as he was coming down the hall at me, I, I can still remember it just like it was yesterday. I don't know where it came from because you said I'm, I'm not big in stature and he definitely was. I just screamed at him. That's it. I've had it. I will never be in this situation again as long as I live because I felt trapped. I had I had no marketable skills. I had no money. I sure. had no job. So sure. and, and I'd made a commitment and I thought, OK, I have to honor this. I have to be here. And and it got to the point where that was that was not. Life-threatening. Yes. And threatening for my daughters. Yes. And so now I now I make this decision and it was, I have not regretted it, made that decision. And that's what put me on the path of, okay, I better figure this out. And that started me on that path of, okay, I go get the job. Now I need to make more money than this accounts payable clerk is. I mean, I mean, just the, between just the three bills of the rent, the childcare and the car payment, <laughs> it's not, not possible. Hence the, the 50 cents of chicken wings, meatballs, sour sure. sticks and carrot sticks, right? I mean, you do what you do. You do what you do. And you've done an extraordinary job of that. Thank you. If we were to fast forward the tape. Yes. To, and I'm not sure this is your last paid professional position, but I'd, I'd love to just kind of, you know, fast forward to what I think is an extraordinary position that you've had in your career. Yes. Why don't you brag a little bit about yourself? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really hard because, again, I, I still... Well, it, we'll, we'll backfill you, but yeah, we're here. Yeah, we, we'll we got absolutely. your back. We got you. Yeah. Because I literally do attribute everything to faith and and literally providing opportunities, right? I mean, I know I had to do the work too, but a lot of, I mean, there were people that helped me and taught me and and, and worked with me and and didn't give up on me. And so, yes, the, the most recent position that, that I've held is the CEO of the Motion Picture Industry Pension Health Plans. Uh, that's a $12 billion company that provides benefits. Would you mind repeating that, please? <laughs> sure. The CEO of the Motion Picture Industry. The Motion Picture Industry, industry. of the World. Yes, their pension and health plans. So basically the company provides... A small mom and pop shop of $12 yeah, billion. billion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Well, and I think you have gone far beyond a an accounts payable clerk. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Thank you. I, you know, and it has been such a fun journey. And I was the first female CEO that they've ever had. I was going there. And yep. that in and of itself. And, and I never think of it. I never think of myself that way because I was never... I, was, I wasn't taught... In the Marine Corps, you don't really care about that. You're you're eating dinner with all of the other kids whose fathers are also deployed in Vietnam. And so we didn't know gender. We didn't know color. We didn't. So I never, I mean, people have asked me about the whole glass ceiling thing. And I thought, I, I didn't I know there was what, one. I didn't. That? Right. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, I guess I, I literally have refused to be limited, but I didn't put it all together until later. Like I learned my mom had told me that we used to live in Hawaii when my dad mm -hmm. was deployed. Mm -hmm. And I thought maybe that was supposed to be the perk, right? Okay, so your dad's gone. We'll be. Yeah, and, free pineapples. Well, yes. And so in Hawaii, everybody goes barefoot. So I went barefoot. Well, at some point in time, young in my life, my the doctors told my parents that my ankles were so weak I would never be able to do anything that would require ankle strength. Well, one of the things I did in high school was competed at a pretty high level in gymnastics. That's pretty, I mean, that's pretty ankle driven. Yeah, you probably right? need some ankle strength. Yeah. yeah, think and figure skating as well. So I guess for me, I, those, those, those conventional wisdom, these common beliefs or whatever, unknowingly early on, I refuse to be confined by those. I refuse to be defined by those. And I think that that makes a big difference, right? It's, it goes back to that victim thing. Sure. Oh, well, gosh, since they told me I'm going to have weak ankles, I guess I better not try this. Oh, well, since they told me that, you know, I'm going to have problems for the rest of my life with this car accident, I better not try to do anything else. And so I did not know. I, I started public speaking early on. I didn't know in high school that I was supposed to be afraid. Afraid of it. Yeah, so I got on stage, tried out for a play. I thought it was going to be fun. <laughs> I could get out there. I could have fun. I didn't realize there was going to be an audience until the first night of dress rehearsal. Then I realized, oh, my gosh. But, you know, that helped me in my career because I've done business speaking. But I do it from a place of can I help someone? If there's something that I've learned that's going to make a difference for them and their company and their business on their board of directors, can I share that? And so it comes from that place of, of help, trying to help. That's the very evident generosity of spirit that you bring to the conversation today, but I can tell it's been with you forever. And that is what is so needed today is that selflessness, is that wanting to be able to help someone 
through whatever their it is. And if they're listening this far into the show and we've gone through some of your some of your it's and some of your journey and some of the extraordinary life success that you've had through this burning desire, right? Through this willingness to challenge the conventional thinking. And I, I think sometimes we would be better off if we were a little bit more clueless. Yes. <laughs> if we weren't exposed to so many of these isms. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I still remember Dr. Frank Bersani when I was seven years old standing over me. I was on a table and I, have, I was born with a hip condition where I was pigeon-toed as a kid. I had braces. I don't remember any of that because I was, I was a toddler. But now I'm six, I'm seven. I have scoliosis, my one leg's shorter. He's standing over me. I can see the, the red lettering on his jacket, and I'd love to just punch him in the face today if I could. <laughs> he said, you'll never be able to play contact sports. And that stuck with me way too long For in my life. a long time. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I was a big kid. I was the kid that every coach looked at and went, oh, baby, bring him, bring Gebhardt my way. Exactly. Throw that kid a ball. Yeah. Exactly. Give him something. Yeah. Give him a raw bone to chew on. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he's going to hurt somebody. And it took me a long time to get over the burden of that statement. Yes. Yeah. And you know, the irony is, is with each little win, when you said, okay, I heard that, I can't get over it. But you said something that jarred a memory when you said helping people, helping others. After the car accident, because I was hit head on by a drunk driver, and it was it certainly wasn't immediate, right? I'm, I'm still going through the throes of stuff. But not too long after that, I was asked if I would be a volunteer for Mothers Against Drunk Driving and go and tell my story and help other people that were in the hospital. That of had, course. Because one of the ironies when after the car accident, there are so many things that make my journey so improbable that in their haste to save my life in the emergency room, they had to stop the bleeding and they did, but they didn't realize until a few months later when I got back home that they had not reconnected the facial muscle tissue. So I had no facial muscle control. So I couldn't smile. I couldn't give an expression. It would just be deadpan. I couldn't talk. I had no enunciation, right? And it's kind of ironic now that this you, is what I'm doing. You do public speaking. Exactly. Yeah. So isn't it? And so it was the interesting thing is, so it's it was that little win of, well, wait, wait a minute. And granted, I had, that's another it right now. I, now they tell me, look, we can just wait. We'll see what happens. It might rejuvenate. We don't know if it will. If it does, how much, what we'll get. Or we can just go in and multiple surgeries, redo everything all over again. To an 18-year-old girl, right, you're going to go and... Yeah, that's a no. Cut and having to make that decision, thank goodness my mother did. But the interesting thing about these little wins, right, and for what you guys do, whether it's in money or, or this aspect of your life self, right, went through the surgeries, started to gain that back again. So many people didn't even know that I'd had a car accident. Now, all of a sudden, I, you know, go into this job and I think, what have I got to lose? I was almost killed. I might as well ask why not. Well, then I go into college... I wanted to get a degree in finance only because I will admit people told me that I could make a lot of That's money. That's where you make the money. And I needed, I've never heard that before. Have you heard that I, before? I've never heard that before. So, really? You can make money in finance? Honest to goodness. That, and the funny thing is I had was going to be an accountant because I knew CPA was, but my econ professor, she was the one that helped me and she said, no, no, based on the questions you're asking. So I applied for the school of finance. Hmm. The dean refused me. He, he wouldn't even accept my application into the finance school. Now, and this is not bragging, but, you know, I'm National Honor Society. I had a great GPA. I'm making straight A's in the university, maybe a B. I was in Beta Gamma Sigma, right? The, so so I asked and asked and asked to meet with him. Uh, I, was gonna, I was going to go out on I a limb and a suggest the prediction predict? Absolutely. that she might go knock on the fellow's door and go, hey, Mr. Oh, yeah. President, let's yeah. talk, shall we? Yes. So he wouldn't see me, wouldn't take my phone calls. Of course. So I went and sat in the office. And, and waited. I waited. And waited and waited until finally I said, I'm not leaving. And I, when I got a chance to meet with him, I said, have you ever looked at my record? Have you ever seen my transcripts or anything? I said, I don't understand. You know, I've applied. I think I could do really good in the program. And believe this or not, and this was not all that long ago because my first undergraduate degree was not even until I was in my 30s. And we'll leave it at that. And he, and it wasn't that long ago because I didn't graduate until 92. So we're not thinking dark ages here. And he actually told me that, no, if I wanted to be in the School of Finance, that first of all, there are no females in the School of Finance. I thought that was interesting. I was waiting for that. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then the second was, and if you really want to be in finance, you need to be a serious student and on this campus full-time like every other serious student. And I'm looking at this thinking, I am working 
trying to put, put myself through school, raise my children, I was shocked. So because of that one little win over the car accident, right, now I have a little bit more, okay, what are you going to take away from me? Because this, so now I almost have this, go ahead, give it a shot. So I don't even know how I knew to do this because it's certainly not coming from people in my circle. That's not, I wrote a letter to the chancellor on the board of regents and I still have, in fact, I found a copy of it about a year ago and I thought, oh, that wasn't written very well. <laughs> but, um, but I said what I had to say. I laid out everything that happened with Dean. Oh, I probably can't say that, right? Um, everything that, yeah, that with the Dean and, and I hand delivered it. I sent it registered certified mail. I thought I want to make sure they get it. It was miraculous. In 48 hours, somehow I am accepted into the school of finance. So it was, it's each, each time you have that little, just that little win, right? The first one, like when you say, hey, you'll never play contact sports. Okay, well, first I believe it. But then I think, gosh, but I, I want to play contact sports. I mean, maybe I could just try like a little contact sport or kind of like me. But you know what? But okay, so you don't think I'm ever going to talk again. But, but I, but I don't want to live like this, which is a huge shift. And each time you get that buildup, right, it's amazing. It allows you to do more because it, it, it strengthens you, it boldens you, right? The interesting thing is I think we are all born with exactly everything that we need. We are born with resilience. We are born with determination. We are born with courage. And I've had people challenge, and I think, go ahead. I mean, when well, I say these things, there's a reason for that, we're, right? We're going to challenge this, but yeah. we got to pause. This is great. This is you're, you're sitting with a couple guys that have been known to talk to wrong numbers for three days in a row. So <laughs> I would you're, do that. You're, you're in perfect, great company. There is so much you've shared and the generosity that you've shared with your story, like, like you were saying, just amazing. You bring this dialogue about how the conversation about loss and grief and the way we think about it is completely wrong. There's a solution in there. There are things you've done to help yourself see the world the way you see the world. Yes. And go out and help others try to shift their thinking to see the world that way. We need to unpack that some more. Yes. I think we need another episode to do that. Really? So let's push pause here, and we're going to come back here shortly in part two with our friend Julia Nicholson. And for today, that's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety, I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.